Hi everyone, it's Karen Chong. Welcome to another episode of Mastering Your World Through Frequencies, where every week we explore how frequencies shape our world and begin to release the patterns that keep us stuck so we can realize our greatest potential. Hi everyone, this is Karen Chong and I'm here with a special guest. For those of us who've never been in a cult, they may seem strangely fascinating. Often, from an outside perspective, it seems like it's obvious that they're manipulative and oppressive, and it may seem difficult to understand how the members somehow get drawn in, even people who seem smart or normal. So how do people get pulled into cults? What does life look like on the inside of that experience, and what can we learn from them? Today we're going to be talking to Veronica, who was born into a cult and left at 16, about what it was like growing up in the cult. We're discussing her struggles since she left, what's happening on spirit level that causes that struggle in her and in others who've experienced being in a cult. Finally, we'll talk about what we can learn from the dynamics of the fear and oppression characteristic of cults, so we can claim even more sovereignty from the oppression running in the structures of the existing paradigm we all live in. And after the discussion, we get to the most important part of this episode. The group frequency calibration at the end is where the frequency work happens and where change actually occurs. So be sure to listen to that. Without releasing distortion patterns targeted by the GSC, the change you want will be more difficult to attain because you haven't addressed the root of the issue. So let's jump right in. So Veronica, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us a little bit just first, like who you are, like who are you, where do you live, what do you do, and then we'll jump into um, your history if that's okay, just so people know who you are. Um, my name is Veronica and I live in San Francisco, California. Um, I work as an astrologer consultant. Um, I feel like I have a lot of intuitive gifts um, mm -hmm. that I used to my advantage. But um, yeah, my I actually left this cult that I was born in. It was the Unification Church. Um, so many of you guys may not know what that is, but you may know the Moonies, um, and they were known primarily for recruiting large amounts of Americans um, in the 70s and 80s, and also for arranged marriages and mass weddings, of which my parents were married in at Madison Square Garden. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and it was, it's kind of like a really strange uh, way to, I guess, grow up in, but that that's more or less what they're they're known for so okay cool and what was the so obviously we have a dynamic leader and what was his name again reverend moon i think yes he was um basically just uh he called himself the messiah the third messiah mm -hmm. uh, and he wanted to basically accomplish that which christ uh failed to do um okay. he seemed to believe that uh christ because he he was crucified, um, you know, left a job undone, and so he was supposed to you know bring providence to the earth by blessing couples um, and 
erasing original sin. So that's why there were these mass weddings that my family was a part of. Um, Just just to be clear, my family, um, you know, when they were approached by other members of the cult, it wasn't like, hey, do you want to sign up for this cult? It was like, hey, do you want to end you know, war and famine, and would you like to bring about world peace? And my parents were very idealistic, and they, you know, it was like the tail end of the 70s, and, you know, they were like, yeah, that sounds great, world peace. And so that's kind of how they got brought into it, and so, yeah. Yeah, and did they know each other before the wedding thingy? No, they, um, in basically a big gigantic ballroom in the New Yorker hotel in New York city. Um, the Messiah uh-huh. so, uh, basically points to my dad and then points to my mom and they, cause it's just this gigantic ballroom filled with all of these people. Um, they just file to the end of the ballroom okay. and that when they were like filing up in a line of okay. those and that, that's basically how they met each other. They they were engaged for about, I think a year and a half or two years beforehand to make sure that it was gonna stick. Mm-hmm. Um, they they got married in like a big wedding ceremony. So, okay, and so, so the cleansing of the original sin, just so I'm clear, because I think you've shared this with me um, briefly, is that when you they have children, then the children, because they're pure, right? They're of this like clear marriage thing. Then the children are absolved of the original sin and that does something good, right? Is that the, is that the idea? No, it doesn't matter if you do or don't know because it really doesn't actually matter. This is all, it's basically just, you know, this crazy paradigm. But the idea was that, you know, there's Adam and there's Eve. Um, Eve seduces Adam. Suddenly there's original sin for every human. So ostensibly, we blessed children, the ones who were born um, in, you know, in this cult, uh, we are spiritually superior to everyone else who mm-hmm. isn't like, you know, a member of this cult, or we're even um, spiritually superior to even our own parents. Um, it's kind of a head trip, but yes, that's, that's what it believed, so. Got it. And so what was it like when you were growing up in that? It Just was briefly. really strange in the sense that, and the thing is, is I didn't actually think that there was anything strange. It wasn't, it was only strange when I would compare myself to other classmates, you know, because of course I'm, I'm in school, um, you know, five days a week, but, um, you know, the brothers, the boys in the church were called the brothers and then the girls were called the sisters, and we more or less kept one another very separate. And because purity was, you know, the that was like the driving force, or that was the driving um, kernel of this paradigm, the the crux of it. I mean, um, you know, we were not allowed to date. We were not allowed to hold hands, like date kissing. Absolutely not okay. And um, it was very puritanical. Um, I remember um, plenty of moms, you know, being very, very protective and chastising anyone who had like a cardigan that was unbuttoned, even just like one button. 
so extremely puritanical and it was really um, forced down on, on the girls mostly. Um, mm -hmm. Well, Eve committed the original sin. So of course it's going to be harder on the girls. <laughs> We're starting from it was her fault. So, <laughs> yeah, it was very stifling. Um, it was a very stifling childhood to be a part of. Um, yeah, it was very very strict. And then I think the boys, though, on the other hand, they they grew up feeling like everything that they did was just really in response to what women did, you know, and hmm. like less agency on their part, because if you're, if you have the template of Eve, who, you know, whatever she does, she's catalyzing something. Um, you don't really have that because if, if men are just really in, you know, responding to the seduction of a woman or not, you know, does that make sense? Uh, no, I don't understand. So you mean like, so whether their value is based on whether they can withstand the seduction, is that, or am I, or am I wrong? There's just so much, um, there's so much agency in what a woman does, whether or not she herself decides to be, okay, I'm going to be the one that's seducing here or not, you know, because oh. I'm going to catalyze a narrative here. Really, it's the, the men were always considered like, well, um, in any situation, it was always going to be a woman that was going to be blamed if there, if something did happen, you know what I mean? So. Yes. It wasn't really a matter of whether or not a man was going to be seduced or not. You know, there's there's this there's this understory that's going on subliminally that I think um, made a lot of the brothers that I grew up in feel like they almost don't have agency within themselves, like almost like their choices and their actions don't matter as much. And it kind of created more of like an existential crisis. Whereas um, I myself, I always felt like I had so much power. Um, I was almost afraid to use that power. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then what happened uh, when you, tr when you realized, oh, what, what, what made you realize you wanted to leave? And then when you tried to, what happened? Sure. So I was actually a very, very, sassy um kid who at summer camp i was always the one that was like uh playing pranks uh, mm -hmm. on anybody really but i was also asking really really um very good questions i think um but very annoying for anyone who was trying to create like you know a religious lesson plan and you know i'd always ask like why is that the case or why you know, why do we have to do this? Or why is it like that? And um, that kind of got me in trouble. So um, when I was 16, I was traveling in a youth group organization um, that was pretending to be um, a non-sectarian organization. And um, maybe you, you guys wouldn't realize this, but our church was constantly uh, using obfuscation to, you know, try to bring in new members or new memberships. Oh. Always like a game of smoke and mirrors. Like, here's this going on over here. We're going to try and bring in, you know, I, I'm not really actually quite sure 
why they do this. It didn't make sense to me even at that age. Um, so I, I remember telling or asking the leaders, hey, like, why do we say that we're non-sectarian when very clearly we are, you know, just this, just this church? Like, why do we have to lock? Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's another thing. There's, there's a lot of imposter syndrome for kids who've left our church. Like, you know, for whatever reason, we think that we're always faking it, even if we're not, you know? Um, but anyways, I had asked these leaders like, Hey, like, why, why do we have to do this? And they really didn't like that question. And I, um, recall there were even some kids who were outside of our church who had fallen for this and they had joined our organization and they were being forced to uh, do our rituals, which was reading from our version of the Bible, uh, waking up at 5 a.m. to do certain prayers or whatnot. They didn't realize this because that's what we were just all doing. And I said, hey, you know, if we're really non-sectarian, these kids have the right to abstain and we should give them that choice. And um, the leaders were like, you don't understand, there's God's work, you know, you clearly this is like above your intelligence. And I, I really dug down and said, you know, no, this is really like, if, if this is the case, then I am not going to be reading the divine principle. I am not waking up at 5am to do these rituals. So that was when they kind of flipped the script on me and suddenly it got very dangerous. Um, they put me into isolation away from any of the other kids that we were traveling with. Um, this was also traveling abroad. We were at the time in Germany um, and I, I, they had my passport. I had no means of communicating with my parents, um, but they put me in isolation, kept me away from food, um, they wouldn't let me sleep, um, and they would spend hours trying to have someone like mentally break me. But I just, I'm somebody who's very stubborn. Like I, if, if, you know, you try to dig down into me, I'm, you know, I really like dig my heels in. So, um, I got very sick from that. And then I actually had a near-death experience or an NDE. Um, and then after that, I... On that trip? On that trip or after? Uh, on that trip, actually. Mm -hmm. And that was a really... I mean, I know that near-death experiences are a totally different podcast um, that I'm sure you'll explore down the road. But uh, after that, I, I realized I was like, wow, this is... This entire system is a total joke. Um, I need to get out of here. <laughs> I was really grateful for that experience. I also, from the NDE, like, you know, if, if any of your listeners know what, what that is like, you know, you really do get a peek behind the veil of, of everything. And, you know, I could simultaneously see just how completely insignificant this organization was, even though it was looming so large in my, you know, in, in my childhood. Um, and, but I was, I was really more moved by the force of, I guess, what is pure source? Like, that's what I was being absorbed back into. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that was, I, I had like a little glimpse of that. Um, I went back home. My parents left the church after I did. And I, you know, had such a vengeance to do well, to be successful, to um, really just make the most of my life because I thought that I had almost lost it. You know, so I was going to really give my all and throw everything into being um, happy and successful because I think that that was maybe the best um, revenge, let's say, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I, I think that it was really difficult because, you know, afterwards I went to the public library looking for any books on, you know, how do you, how do you reprogram yourself after you leave a cult? And they were all for people who, you know, weren't born in cults, you know, like they had something to go back to, you know, like here, you just go back to this other program that you had, you know, before you joined. And uh, that wasn't the case for me because I was born in it. So um, it was kind of hard and it was really, it is really difficult to trust therapists or um, psychologists because I think that they also see I felt like they could sometimes, you know, look at us sort of like as these exotic weirdos. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. Because they have an idea of what a cult is, right? And they're projecting their own story onto you. So now you're bound within their story, the frequencies of their story. So I can totally see that. And um, would you mind sharing with us? I mean, since I mean, they you went through this period where you had the gift of the near death, right? Saw how insignificant it was, so that you gave you the courage to leave it, really, in a way, because you had something from a bigger perspective. Mm-hmm. After that experience. Um, in when you were with them. Um, what have you, since you've left, like, what have you, what do you find that you struggled with the most? I, I know you said that you got sick. Um, what have you struggled with? I mean, you said the imposter syndrome was there. It's hard to trust therapists because, you know, they project whatever they have on you. Um, can you share a little bit about what you struggled with and what you see other people like you who have struggled with? I mean, that's what catalyzed the discussion. So I'm curious. Time with really getting into big groups um, of really anything like I um, I'm very skeptical of and I think that actually there is like a healthy skepticism because I'm like wait a second what is what is everybody what is this Kool-Aid that everyone is drinking over here Um, then there's you know really just being able to trust and fall into a relationship because you know I was I was always told like hey you're going to have an arranged marriage just like your parents and just like your friends and Mm -hmm have this one person that you're going to spend the rest of eternity with and it's all figured out for you and so dating is like you know this whole other thing that was very difficult and you know it's a it's a sore spot for a lot of the a lot of the kids who also left the same cult as me um financial abundance is really really hard because um you know that cult itself was one that really kept all of these families, all of these people who are born into it, you know, under the thumb of this very oppressive poverty. Um, there, it wasn't uncommon for kids who uh, were in the church, you know, to be one of four or five, or even sometimes as much as eight children in a household. And they would be, you know, on food stamps because the family is giving away their money 
to the church or, you know, they're being paid very little because they're working literally just for the church. So it's really difficult because we, you know, a lot of us um, coming out, we're like, we don't know how to, we don't know how to manage money. We don't know how to like balance a checkbook. We don't know how to like manage a credit card, you know? Um, so there, there's like some very real tangible things like that, but, um, I would say the most difficult thing is, and I'm using the term that I learned from you is really, um, being comfortable with our own brilliance, because I think so much of that, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, our ability to, you know, really relate with another person, um, be, be financially abundant you know, it stems from our ability to be comfortable with our own brilliance. And a lot of that was like squashed down constantly um, in the church. So, yeah, well, that's um, because um, just from a frequency perspective, you're right. I mean, it has to, because what they're doing, actually, it's not just squash, it's actually siphoned off. So they're actually like, it's like a feeding, right? So it's like um, you have, uh, you know, it's like a pyramid and you have one entity or source that's like pulling from so many, right? A lot of times when you have things that are dark like this, you'll have an entity that moves through a person, right? To start to control others. And um, it requires like a lot of pull from all these different um sources of life force or bioenergy. And so um, it, in a cult like this, they're also starting to feed not only on your bioenergy, which will start to, um, which is why vitality or abundance is difficult because they're like pulling away your life force, which is actually intertwined to some degree with abundance and ability to receive it. They're also pulling on you on your spiritual sort of like brilliance itself, which is more insidious actually. And because it's not yours, right? It belongs to them. So therefore they can pull on it and which is uh, really not cool um, and not um, it sort of violates a lot of universal laws in terms of being able to siphon that away from you. Does that make sense? It's like they're um, taking a piece of your spirit, which yeah. is um, a violation, actually. So it's hard to leave because, well, you don't feel complete when you leave because mm -hmm. they have a little piece of you mm -hmm. because they do. I mean, that's what the siphoning of the spirit body or the, the spirit will do. It can make the, you know, the people who leave feel sort of like uh, not quite whole, like they're missing something, even though they've left and they wanted to, etc. And it's hard because they're so used to the, the dynamic or the programming often is where you're used to a certain type of spirit debt, right? Like you have to give, like you're just conditioned to it. It's like you have to give your life force and your, it's part of your spirit in order to have, you know, God, basically, you know, a worthiness, purity or whatever it is that the, the term is. Um, but that's the exchange. And so when you leave, it's just like, well, it, it's like a bit lost, right? You're like, well, who am I? I'm still giving this. Who am I giving it to, though? I don't want to give it to them, but I, I'm not really worthy of it. So how do I deal with this? And how do I receive abundance? Because still, I'm not worthy about it. Of it, I'm supposed to give it to someone else. So it just makes it very confusing. So um, yeah, that's in part what I what I see when I tap into you guys. I um, mean, the people who left anyway. Yeah. Interesting. That is that's super fascinating because I remember in IFC you had told me that somehow, even though I had, you know, it was like over. I don't know, like 20 years since I'd, since I had left, but, um, that the, somehow the leader of our cult was still messing with my rendering. Yeah. 
Can you actually explain, is that is that what you just explained just now? Yes, exactly. So there are, um, thank you for asking. So a lot of times when you have cults or you have a very, very um, charismatic leader like that, and there, um, there's an entity that's powerful, or sometimes it's an alien, whatever, but something, okay, that's dark, that's moving through them. What they'll do is something which is actually a very, uh, like I said, an intrusion and a very great violation. So just to back up, um, for those of you who are not aware, right, so you have your spirit body, which is a sphere at arm's length all around you, and then it projects like a hologram your physical body in its center, right? So there you are. And then your um, brain is the mechanism or the projector for your physical body, your reality, et cetera, okay? So the rendering um, of you is, um, like I said, it's a hologram. And so it's a reflection of what's being projected um, by your spirit body. There are some um, entities and some alien beings that will come in and actually, so it's like a code, right? right? So your spirit body is like running code, but it's not really code like a computer, it's more like light code, but whatever, it's just coding, yeah? Like coding, C-O-D-I-N-G, like a computer code. And it's rendering this thing. And uh, you typically would have free will, you have sovereignty. It's diminished to some degree because you, most all of us have distortion patterns, but you have sovereignty, typically. But what happens is when you have something like a cult or a charismatic leader who is imposing control in this way, they actually will intertwine with the spirit body and start to hijack the rendering. Does that make sense? They're like getting into the coding of the spirit body that projects the rendering. This is a really huge violation. Okay, it, it, like they should not be interfering at that level. It's uh, it's really. Not, it's not permissible, really. It's not okay that they're doing it at that level because it's it takes away your ability to like um, uh, uh, separate from them because it's so intertwined. Does that make sense? They're like right in there enmeshed with the thing that creates you, which gives them a lot more control over all aspects of you, right? From physical all the way out to spirit. Because now, that, does that make sense? They're at the, po the source point of what creates your reality. So um, that is a huge violation, and um, uh, it's hard for me to convey um, what that means, really, but that is a, a challenge. It's why, um, as you said, even 20 years later, you're like, it's still sticky. You know what I mean? You're just like, why can't I get, get rid of this, some of this stuff? Like, I just can't break free. It doesn't, it doesn't I, I'm doing all this stuff, and I can't seem to. That's because they're intertwined, like I said, in the spirit body, in the rendering, until you unhook that, really it's hard to be free even though you physically left right you're physically left you don't talk to them you're not you don't have anything to do with them anymore it has nothing to do with the physicalness it has to do with unhooking their basically their oppression over you or their quote-unquote right to your um, bioenergy and your spirit essence um so that's what i was talking about and it's uh, a really uh, I don't know how else you would do it, honestly, uh, if you didn't have frequency work. I don't, I don't know any other mechanism for which the unhooking can happen at that level, if that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, just to point out, I actually, you know, spent years and years and years doing, I feel like everything under the sun, you know, I was doing hypnosis on myself mm -hmm. and I, that was somewhat helpful, but it wasn't actually really getting to it the way that frequency work was. And that's why I was so excited to come to you to really talk about this. So anyways. Yeah.
Totally. And do you have any other questions for me? That was a great one. I don't, I don't know how we came down the path, but it's a good one. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so many other people who are born in and later left my cult have a very hard time interfacing with anything or even anyone spiritual. Um, spirituality seems to be really triggering, um, especially when it seems that most all of the new age movement um, really seems laden with landmines of mm -hmm charismatic leaders or gurus that you know are like here come in and you know like let me take a little piece of that light of yours so do you have any advice yeah so in a way so in some ways that's kind of good to, to be honest because um because there are you're right there is a lot of that in the the new age movement and there are a lot of people who are uh darker who masquerade as the light right and so in a way, your hypersensitivity to that is good because you have a healthy dose, dose of skepticism. A lot of people say they can do different things and you're like, can you really? <laughs> you know, so it's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, what's difficult, the, the greater challenge is, um, is to, as you say, recognize your own brilliance. So whenever you find a modality that works for you, right? That's not dependent like on a person being elevated in a particular way or whatever, that you can do the work yourself, whatever the modality is, it doesn't really matter. But when you find that, the difficulty is to go into the surrender, right? Of the allowing for yourself to recognize your own brilliance, your own power, to allow yourself to drop into that surrender, which is hard, right? When you're, you have a little, post-traumatic stress disorder from being in a place where that was abused. If you still have those hooks, even harder, right? Because it's almost like somebody else has claimed you as theirs. Does that make sense? So because they have claim on you, you don't have claim on you. I know it sounds weird, but when they have their hooks, you can't, does that make sense? You don't have authority over yourself, which sounds like, well, how is that possible? It's possible when they're doing it at that level. So until you release that, it's hard for you to be like, oh my God, I have sovereignty over me. Does that make sense? Like I have a power, like, which is an important thing in any kind of, well, from my perspective anyway, in any kind of awakening process, right? Because then that allows you to drop into the neutrality, the surrender, the all that sort of stuff that's required for the ascension and also to see more clearly the distortion patterns that are there. So it's, it, it causes this sort of like... Um, little it makes it harder but um so on the one hand it's good on the other hand it can make it more difficult if you can unhook those fundamental like that claiming of your spirit body then you can move forward and have uh more freedom and also what's awesome is that you have even if, if you do something like frequency work you get more and more clear on where the, the bs is right you're just like really clear on like okay well that doesn't resonate with me. And the wonderful thing about frequency work is that you can also empowers you to be like, okay, well, most of that doesn't resonate with me, but this one little piece here, I actually find interesting. This little, one little piece, it's a, that's a little piece that I'm going to take with me right now, but the rest I'm going to leave. So it doesn't have to become, because you become more strong internally, right? You become complete. You recognize your own completion. You don't need to have it from given to you by the leader or the organization or anything. You are complete. You have your own connection to pure source. You, that is everything that's, that's that is everything. I mean, I mean, you recognize more and more. You're like, I don't need any of this structure. I, I just need me. Then what happens is that then you can really sort of take off in terms of your frequency resonance because you're not you recognize that those structures aren't there anymore and you recognize your own authority which is important i think so i don't know if i answered your question ronica i kind of like went like this 
That's really, really beautiful. And I think that that's actually what we really, I think, resonate with is, I mean, trying to do something for ourselves that we can do, you know, by ourselves almost. I mean, obviously, yes. you know, with the help of somebody whose frequency is really like able to bring ours up. Um, but that, that is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, can I ask another question? Yeah, please. Um, so you know, my perception after having left the cult, you know, it's actually really interesting how, I I would say that the cult that I was in, that was like a pressure cooker of oppression, let's say, like, it was just really like laden heavily with it. But um, what about situations where it's not so clear cut or even um, obvious? Um, How, you know, how can we better discern cult-like situations mm-hmm. um, you know i'm thinking like even organizations or jobs that we've had or you know um maybe even like fa- familial um you know family structures or um what what is your advice for discerning you know like a cult yeah yeah so what i would say is um a couple of things one is to release the oppression frequencies within self, right? Because the, the first step is that. Because the thing is, um, when you, if you don't release those first, now I'm not saying for you because you've already done this, like if you have those running, you're just going to call more of those realities to you, right? Where you have situations that are oppressive, whether it's in relationship, work, uh, social, it doesn't really matter, right? So if you have those oppression frequencies running in you strongly, so the thing is frequencies often have like, like, let's call it two ends to them, right? The oppression, like you either oppress and or oppression happens to you. Okay. So either way it can, that's the two ways it sort of shows up. So once you start to release that more, right? So people who would first come to me, that's the first thing to start to release. Okay. So that and why is that important? Like I said, because you're emanating, you're broadcasting these frequencies. This is the frequency that's running in you. So you're going to call something that's going to oppress you. So that's the first thing, right? To, to release that. Okay. Because even if you're aware and you're like, why can't, why does this keep happening until, does that make sense? The awareness by itself isn't enough until you release those oppression patterns within self. Yeah. Okay. So that's the first thing. So the first thing is to, to release within self. What will happen is you will notice when you have your own tendencies to want to control when others want to control. And when you have situations where others try to control you, it's to, um, recognize, okay, well, what's, what's really going on here? Why? So I'm noticing that I'm having a response to this, which is resistance. Okay. So the resistance isn't necessarily bad. So it's to examine, right? To have a lot of self-awareness. Why am I resisting? Am I just resisting because I'm rebelling or what, why is that happening? So then, okay. So it feels like control to me. What is the purpose behind the control? That's another question to ask. What is it? Is it just because, you know, they're a bigger organization and they're just trying to, you know, create some kind of structure for everybody? Okay. And then to assess, is that something I want to participate in? Right. So it's just sort of like, it's like further refinement of your own, uh, what it is that you want to, um, sort of experience. And if you can, within that parameter, create a dynamic where you don't feel that oppression, right? Cause that's really, don't forget you're creating your reality, right? So can you clear enough that in your, 
your interface with whatever that is, that that control doesn't happen. Does that make sense? Just because, does that, so the, the, a structure could be generally controlling. But if you yourself can, are strong enough and complete enough and high enough in resonance, you can get to the point where you have an interaction with that dynamic where it is not running. That that in your dynamic with that, the oppression isn't existing. Does that make sense? Like it's fine with you. You don't feel oppressed. They're not oppressing you. You're not controlling. It's good. And then what can happen sometimes, or especially if your resonance is high enough, is the dynamic of the whole organization starts to shift because of you because of your resonance. Now, are you required to do this? No, not meaning you, Veronica, but one. Is one required to do this to like save the world? No, okay? So only do this if you feel like it's good for you. If not, you have to assess, do I really wanna participate in this? Whether it's a relationship, a larger structure, whatever, you know, do I, and so that's what I would say. So part of the discernment, so I answered it a little bit more broadly than what you asked, but Part of the discernment is to recognize first oppression within self, clear, 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 clear. Then to ask why, when you have a reaction, to notice that, not get triggered in the reaction, but to notice the reaction and be like, okay, I'm resisting, why? What is the, what is the mechanism of control that I'm resisting? Why is it being implemented? Do I want to engage or not? Can I hold my resonance enough that I can engage in a way that it doesn't oppress me personally? Okay, you really, this takes a very high level of self-awareness. If so, do I want to engage or not? Does that make sense? So it just requires like more and more nuance. And um, as you rise in frequency resonance, those choices become clearer. Okay, yeah. and more, you're more able to discern. And the other thing is permission to like, okay, I'm a little in over my head. No, I, it's not a feeling okay to me. I need to, I need to like, I need to back out here. Right, so that's what I would suggest. I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah. That really helpful I think especially given how polarizing really just like the collective consciousness feels like right now too that yeah. seems such words of wisdom um just from, from my perspective yeah and just to know like um and you mentioned this right the near-death experience gave you a perspective that was much broader because as you merged into in, into that space you start to recognize your big s self right what we've talked about a lot in terms of your identity as infinite indestructible consciousness so when you came back you recognized that you're like whoa i'm greater than this me as this human so it's to also recognize that like not only from like an ego perspective, like how am I, am I, how am I in this interplay of control, but also to cultivate more of this bigger perspective mm -hmm. of the big S self, right? You see all the polarity, you see all the dynamic, right? Does that make sense? And you don't get pulled into it. So the more you can cultivate that big S self perspective, which requires releasing the distortion patterns, right? We talk about this a lot in coherence mastery for anybody who's interested in that, but that's what we're cultivating that perspective of the big S self. So you can recognize, okay, well, do, is it, you know, cause in our little ego mind self, it could be really important. Like if we don't conform to this, you know, then we're going to create all these issues in our relationships or work is going to be really sticky or whatever. Right. And then from the big S self, it's like, is it really worth it to me from this perspective, given the infiniteness of everything, like what's really important to me? In terms of moving forward and of course you'll have human considerations but with that perspective it gives it, it somehow lends clarity so at least from my perspective yeah beautiful thank you so much
Cool. Let me ask you uh, one very pointed question for the end, if that's okay. So for those listening who came from a, um, uh, pers uh, a situation like yours or an experience like yours, can you share with them how frequency work has helped you, just like in concrete terms, so they can sort of understand what that is? Um, so I think I explained, you know, like I've been on a mission since I left the cult at 16, um, you know, really trying to get my hands on anything um, that might be able to help me, but I always resonated the most with anything that I could do for myself, for myself. And I, you know, really resisted joining other spiritual movements or practices, um, really across the gamut. Um, and, you know, like I really liked the idea of, um, really, I think any, any kind of modality where I could, you know, administer this or have control over the experience for myself, because I was having such a hard time with, um, really trusting other people and their motivations. Um, you know, so this kind of really exnade the, like any working with, um, therapists and, and psychologists. And I, I don't, I don't besmirch or, um, I don't, I think that they're a great option for everybody else, but it is, I think for people who are coming from my situation, um, it may not be the best option. And so, um, I think I, I mentioned that I was, you know, more recently, just before discovering frequency work, I was, you know, administering um, hypnosis for myself. And that I, I thought that was like a huge breakthrough for me. Um, but with frequency work, I really love that um, I own my entire experience. Um, and in the sense that I am responsible for um, that journey, you know, like I, like I cannot if, if something isn't really meshing, I only have myself to really ask like, okay, what's going on here? You know, like, what are, what am I doing wrong? What am I not seeing clearly? You know, if something is especially crunchy, um, as you like to say, Karen, um, uh, so it's the, the onus is really on me and that is both terrifying, but also invigorating because it's all mine. And that is, that is something that, um, because when you come from an organization where you're sharing everything and, you know, like you don't want to let down the collective, et cetera, because you're sharing everything and everything is, you don't really have anything <laughs> because if you're in a fault, you're like, literally, you're just like absorbed into this ocean of otherness. Um, like that is actually, it's, it's so brilliant to be able to have, you know, like this corner that is, that is mine, um, and that responsibility. So I, I find that to be a really brilliant upside, or at least that's how I like to, to look at it. Um, but it, it's by no means easy. Um, I don't think, I, I think that it's easy once I be, began to like, let go of a few um, distortions, but of course, you know, I, I had to confirm the deletion. I had to be like, okay, do I still have this? No, I, you know, like I had to really churn out and work, work on it myself, but it feels like progress to me because yeah, it's, I, I can suddenly look back two weeks 
later after I do a GFC or an IFC, I'm like, wow, I don't, I'm not dwelling on this thing or like this tick I had. I don't have that anymore. I can, I feel more free. I just feel more at ease. Um, so I'm still like, I'm still working on it. And I think that I still have a ways to go, but this is, um, I've gone the amount of area I've covered in just two years. I feel like I probably would have done it in maybe 30 years. I don't know if I would have even, you know, that's, that's how much ground I've covered. And that I think is just extraordinary. So, um, I, I, really am just so amazed at like what a gift that I've been giving myself by, by devoting myself to this. So that's why I was really excited to, you know, like share this with Karen. I was like, how can I get this in the hands of people who have been through what I have been through? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. And Veronica had actually offered to even like financially before she knew that I, we were going to do this podcast to actually commission a deep dive, which is very generous of her. And um, so that's how committed she is to this, to helping, which is really um, very generous of her. And um, the other thing I wanted to ask is how what changes have you noticed in terms of like how you feel since you started frequency work? Can you tell like from before and after, like what, what the difference is for you, the changes, whether you feel it or how they've shown up, just... What that what's been like for you? Um, I mean, as I said, I'm still working on things. Like I'm still discovering like what surrender feels like. You know, I'm like, oh my God, I thought I was surrendered, but I guess not really, because this must be what surrender really feels like. And it is really just extraordinary because, you know, when I was listening to you um saying like, oh, like this is sovereignty, like it's really hard for somebody who never had that, like at the get-go, you know, from birth, you know, into adulthood, never really felt like the fullness of, of, you know, his or her sovereignty, um, to be able to like really actually feel these things. It, it's extraordinary to begin to feel the edges of that. Um, and I know I have a ways to go and, um, I, that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, keep myself measured, um, when I, when I'm looking at that, but it makes me really excited as, as far as how much further I could go. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Veronica, for sharing your story and for wanting to, and for being the catalyst for this and for wanting to help others. And we hope that this is, um, we being all of us at the Spherical Luminosity team hope this helps, um, others and to break free from what you've broken free from and to gain more and more sovereignty, which is really amazing to uh, witness in you. So thank you for having the courage to ask and to speak up and to do the work and being on the journey that you're on. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much, Karen. All right. For those of you who are new, we're just about to start the GFC. This is the most important part of this episode because it's where we actually do the frequency work and where change is catalyzed. So I invite you to settle in and get comfortable. You can sit, stand, or lie down. Or if you prefer to walk around slowly, you could even do that too. If during the GFC you find that you start falling asleep, even if you didn't feel tired when you started, just let yourself drift off. 
That just means that the frequencies are really high and it's more efficient for you to be asleep to integrate them. If this happens, it's good to listen to the GFC portion again a few times until you can stay awake for the whole thing. That's how you'll know you've integrated those higher resonating frequencies. Because I'm working on the frequency level, these GFCs are not like regular meditations. And many people find they go into varying degrees of altered state. If you happen to be listening to the audio version of this episode, please definitely do not drive while listening to this. Okay, here we go. Welcome everyone to the group frequency calibration for oppression and the dynamic of occults. Becoming aware of your body. And as you become aware of your body, becoming aware of your weight as it settles into whatever is supporting you. Good. And now please become aware of the soles of your feet. For those of you who are more experienced, becoming aware of not only the soles of your feet, but the spaces between your toes, the length of the arches of your feet, more of the details. Good. And now please become aware of your breath. Just noticing it at first, without changing it, for a few breaths. Notice if you have a desire to change it, or judge your breath. Just notice your breath. And after a couple of breaths, just noticing it, then allowing for your breath to deepen. To take up a lot more space in your body.
open. Allowing the breath to drop further into the body and noticing if your breath can become spherical. So meaning instead of allowing the breath to just expand in the front or the back, imagining or becoming aware of the breath expanding in all directions, front, back, side to side, above and below. And now please become aware of your surroundings. Noticing the soundscape all around you, sounds on your end and the sounds on my end. Noticing the distance between the sound and you, meaning how far away or how close they are, and really picking up on the sounds that you take for granted, that are constant and low. Noticing those. Good. And now please become aware of the feeling of the air against your skin. Noticing its relative temperature. Humidity. The movement of it. Just noticing the texture of the air and the feeling of the air against your skin. Uh huh. And now, please triangulate. So for those of you who are new, triangulating means to become aware of three inanimate objects in the space around you. What those inanimate objects are is not important. You're just noticing three inanimate objects and noticing the distance between each inanimate object and yourself. So for example, if the bed is eight foot away from you, you would notice the distance of eight feet between the bed and you. And then you would feel the distance between the bed and you. And you would do the same thing for objects B and C. And as you do this, you'll find that your sense of where you are in space becomes more clear, more focused, and more present for you.
for those of you who are more experienced and quite fast at this, when you're finished with triangulating, bringing your attention to the upper solar plexus. So your solar plexus is between your belly button and the base of your sternum. Your sternum is that big, thick bone in the center of your chest where your ribs meet in front of your body. Your upper solar plexus is from the midpoint between those two points and the base of your sternum. So becoming aware of the upper solar plexus. Breathing normally when you arrive here, closing your eyes if you haven't already. Let's go ahead and take a nice deep breath now, inhaling. Nice, big, juicy breath in, holding your breath for a count of five. And whenever you're ready, releasing all the air out of your lungs at the speed and intensity that you prefer, holding your breath out for as long as you can. And whilst we complete this single long breath, I'm waiting for the mastermind to coalesce and become coherent. After your one single long breath, please breathe normally. Whilst we wait for the mastermind to come together, please note that I'm working on you at the group and subgroup level, and that I often work in silence. So if you don't hear me, I'm still working on you. It's just that if I'm working with very high frequencies, if I make physical noise, it lowers the frequency resonance, which does not benefit you. I also do make noise, so you may hear me yawn or exhale or hum. And that's just how I release the stickier, denser distortion patterns. Also, if I say something that really resonates with you, it's likely yours. And if I say something that you really resist, it's likely something that you have as well. So I invite you to remain open and to examine further. Good. So now that the mastermind has coalesced, keeping your attention on that upper solar plexus, we're going to go ahead and ask ourselves the following question. How can I become even more aware of my connection only to pure source? That question, again, for those of you who are new, is how can I become even more aware of my connection only to pure source. And as you ask yourself that question, please imagine, sense, feel, or become aware of the very center of your body. And as you become aware of this surprisingly vast space, 
please imagine or become aware of a brilliance at its very core that you either see or feel. And this brilliance starts to get even more intense, even brighter, because you have your attention on it. And it starts to very naturally expand outwards through all of your cells, out through your organs, through your bone structure, out through your muscles and your flesh, and through the pores of your skin into the space between your physical body and the outer perimeter of your spirit body, which is a sphere at arm's length all around you. becoming very aware of the brilliance within the sphere. And now please become very aware of the space all around the sphere. And as you become aware of this infinite space, I'm working on you at spirit level to increase your frequency resonance, irrespective of where it began. How high your frequency resonance is, is the most important thing because it dictates what your physical reality looks like, how you feel about it, what possibilities exist for you, how much momentum you have on spirit level and how quickly you can integrate. This is one of the most important things we do together. Becoming aware now, please, of the very center of your solar plexus, between your belly button and the base of your sternum. So while oppression runs in cults, it also runs in the systems around us. It also runs through us. Okay, So we have either been oppressive to others or abusive, or have received oppression and or abuse, or both, okay? 
So we're just going to release this. Yep. Bring your attention, please, into your entire belly. So from your pubic bone all the way up to the base of your sternum. So this is fear. The distortion pattern of fear in response to oppression. So it's interesting. We don't just resist oppression often. We go into fear in the face of oppression often as a first response, which makes it easier to oppress us. So we're just going to release this distortion pattern of fear. And amplify the clarity of what's happening. giving you a little more distance. Since we're releasing fear, giving you more distance from your emotion so you can make a choice that's not based in fear. Not based in just an emotional response to the oppression and what might possibly happen to you that's negative. Release all this. still in this belly area. Okay, so this is creating more distance between the collective's emotional state. So in the collective of a cult, for example, there are certain rules and expectations, and there's a collective emotional resonance, okay, which will often, because it's bigger than you, cause you to want to comply. So Let's resist, release this, excuse me. So you can determine more clearly for yourself 
whether you want to comply or not. Or perhaps it would be time for you to withdraw or to take a different path or whatever it is appropriate for you. So giving you more space, more clarity. Good. Becoming aware of your xiphoid process right at the base of your sternum. And about three in inches or seven centimeters directly beneath it towards the belly button. Clearing out and resetting the pain body. Good. This brings us to the end of this session. I look forward to working with you on the next GFC. It's my sincere hope that you benefit profoundly from this series, which is why I spend so much of my time and personal resources creating these as my gift to the world. If the topic of this GFC resonates with you, it's very likely that more work than can be provided in this one GFC is needed to clear or loosen deeply held distortion patterns in areas that are sticky. Because these patterns are like layers of an onion, usually there are multiple layers to individual topics. Depending on how much of a challenge this topic is for you, it may make sense for you to go deeper than what this one session allows. If you feel this is the case for you, please visit spherical.luminosity.com dot com for more targeted support.